0: Man, thank you, guys. Thank you, team. Man, I could sing that song every Sunday. You ever been in a place where you're just like, all I can do is throw up my hands or worship right then and there and just give him an hallelujah because you just, you're overwhelmed with what God's done for you in your life? Man, I hope you have moments like that. Folks, turn in your Bibles to uh, Matthew 5. Matthew 5. The title of today's sermon, Salt of the Earth. Salt of the Earth. Once you're there, I'd like you to look at the verse preceding the uh, verse 25 in chapter 4. It's just the verse right before chapter 5. I want to give you a little background. So we're looking at Matthew 4.25. It's that last verse before chapter 5. It says, And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. Great crowds. Folks, that is a lot of people because that is a vast area. A lot of places are mentioned. Great crowds. Now let's look at the very first two verses of chapter 5. Chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. It says, Seeing the crowds. We're talking about these great crowds that have come. So, seeing the crowds, he went up on a mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, I'm going to stop there. What he is teaching here, this is called the Sermon on the Mount. Now, many believe that this sermon is the most famous sermon that Jesus ever preached. Some say that this is the most famous sermon that has ever been preached by anyone. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, it covers several different topics. Following what we call the Beatitudes, okay, following the Beatitudes in the sermon are a series of teachings, and these teachings that Jesus presents to His disciples if they were to be absorbed by us, if they were to be incorporated and applied in every facet of our life, they would revolutionize our very existence. I'm talking life-changing. That's how powerful this sermon is. And one of the teachings that Jesus taught his disciples, it was about salt, So our text today, if you'll turn there, right there in chapter five, look at verse 13. Matthew five, verse 13 is our text. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. So let me paint the picture, okay? Jesus, the great crowds are surrounding him. He sees these crowds and he retreats to a mountainside. His disciples come to him, Jesus takes a seat, and I can see them all gathering around him sitting close. They come to him. Jesus is addressing them. This is his audience, his disciples. So when he says, you, he's talking about Peter. And Andrew, he's talking about James, Philip, Nathaniel, who's also known as Bartholomew, Matthew, who's also known as Levi, Thaddeus, who's also known as Jude. He's talking to James the less, Simon the zealot, Thomas, and Judas Iscariot, who would later be replaced by Matthias. The twelve disciples, also known as the twelve apostles. This is his audience when he says, you. Now, they don't know it, but this is quite the compliment Jesus is giving. He says, you are the salt of the earth. Now, I don't believe the disciples knew how important they actually were. I don't think they knew. And that's probably a good thing. I don't think they knew that. I don't think that, uh, I'm not sure that they could even comprehend the, this thing that Jesus was expressing to them. Because this expression has become uh, one of the finest compliments that can be given or paid to an individual. When we assign this expression to an individual, what we're doing is we are underscoring the influence that this individual has on society, what I'd like to call the Christian, what this Christian has on society. And when I say society, I'm talking about those those that surround you, who you're surrounded by on a daily basis. We're talking about salt, though. In essence salt is a positive influence. It really is. Why do I say it like that? Why do I use influence? Well, we know that influence is the ability, right? The ability to affect someone or something. Or it's the experience of being affected by someone or something. That's influence. We find that Scripture recognizes the wide-ranging power of influence It's the wide-ranging power of good and evil. We can see both happening in the Word of God. But in our text, we're talking about the good. We're talking about the good. Positive influence. And that is what salt is. It is a positive influence. Salt has many uses, especially in times of antiquity. But the two major functions of salt are preservation, and flavoring, seasoning, savor. Those are the two main functions. So let's talk about the source of influence here. The source of influence. Christ is stating quite clearly that the source of our influence is found in the person we are. He's addressing the disciples, you are. So we are the influencers, okay? Through the work and grace of God, mind you, we are the influencers. But notice that he said, you are salt. He didn't say you will become salt. He didn't say that you have salt or that you dispense salt. He said you are salt. Only in the lives and character of a Christian can we apply the are salt, right, Can we apply that and exercise this positive influence? You all know just as well as I do that words alone cannot influence us, right? We also cannot influence others or another person with words alone. We can only influence or be influenced when words, the things we say, are actually backed up by what and who we are. And I think that's safe to say we all agree with that. I think so. Jesus was teaching and training his disciples to be this kind of salt, this kind of influence. Now, do our words and our actions match up? Because I know all of you have been around the block. A lot of you have had many experiences where you've run into people where the words were empty. They were void of any affection, any purpose, It was lip service, and we can't be influenced by that. We need you to back up what you say, and I believe that is a universal truth there for all of us. Do our words and actions match up. Now, the presence of salt, and I like this, I like this thought, it cannot be ignored. The presence of salt cannot be ignored. If salt is present, we cannot fail to recognize its presence. Case in point. About three weeks ago, I made some awesome chicken wings on the grill. I bought the two-for-one deal, I must have had 100 wings. I make my own rub, all my spices and seasonings, and I roll those suckers in it and I put it on the grill. The problem is, when I did my rub, I tasted it, and I was like, oh, this needs something, because this is a little hot. I gotta cut this with some salt. Man, I cut it with some salt. Because after those things were cooked, and my family can attest, they were delicious, but every time you bit it, your eyebrows went up. You know what I mean? It was that salty. Every bite, you had to lift your eyebrows because it was so much to take in. I don't know how much water we drank that day, but it had to be a record. I'm going to tell you, the presence of salt was there. But if it's absent, we miss it, don't we? These fries need salt. Pass the salt. right? We miss it. Well, the same goes with the Christian. We can look at the salt of the earth in the form of Christian influence. People will notice. They will recognize. They will be aware of it. Just like the taste of salt in church family, you are the salt of the earth. There's the source. Let's talk about the sphere of influence. Influence. Again, Christ said, you are the salt of the earth, right? We're not talking about Mars. We're not talking about the moon. We are to unleash the positives of salt influence right here on the earth. That is the, in, the, in the here and now, in our community, in those that we come face to face, face with daily. All those who cross our path, that's our earth. God has planted us where we live. This is our part of the earth. This is where we are to influence. And knowing this, we're going to dive into the two functions here in a second of preservation and flavor. People will notice, though. People will notice. You know, I'm going to give you a fact real quick. And I'm going to say it twice because this is how important it is. In fact, my whole sermon is based on what I'm about to tell you. Now I have your attention. I know I do. Salt does its most effective work, okay, by being brought into direct contact with the substance on which it is to work. I will say that again. Salt does its most effective work by being brought in direct contact with the substance on which it is to work. You have that plate of fries, and you tasted one, uh, bland, but there's the salt right there, and you're looking at that salt. What's going to... what's it has to come into direct contact to be effective. And what I'm saying is that is Christian influence in this world today. You know, by the way, real true salt, real true salt does not lose its saltiness. It doesn't. Most likely with Israel's proximity to the Dead Sea, um, Jesus is referring to the numerous salt pits that were uh, throughout the land. And and, and it made salt uh, uh able, excuse me, readily accessible. That's the word I'm looking for. Readily accessible um, commodity. Salt was there for the taking, but it was a different kind of salt. Because see, the salt taken from the Dead Sea in Jesus' time was a mixture of salt, meaning there were other matters, other particles. Um, For instance, if it was exposed to weather, the salt could be lost, leaving only what had the appearance of salt because there's other matter mixed into it, other impurities. And when that salt disappeared, the appearance of salt, it happens to Christians all the time. You could have the appearance of a Christian without the Christian. And unfortunately, that's growing. That's a rapid thing happening in our church today. So, exposed to weather, it could be lost. This salt could be adulterated, meaning it could have a weakened mixture, having little to no taste. It's not very salty. In other words, all the genuine salt leached out, leaving only the sediment or impurities behind. That's what we're talking about. The sediment and the impurities were what was left behind. Now, some say that this is what Jesus is talking about that the real salt lost itself, right? All that's left is what appears to be salt. It's not salt. Let's throw it out. Now, some will say this, though. Some will say that uh, because genuine salt, which is a stable compound and cannot lose its saltiness, it's impossible for it to lose its saltiness. They're saying because of this, so, too, it would be absurd to think that genuine Christianity... That genuine Christianity would become a savorless Christianity that is not impactful and that is not a saving force in our world. Okay, that's fine. Which view you take is fine, but I'm going to tell you this. No matter if salt loses its saltiness, whether it's because of intense heat or, 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 or if it's because of exposure to the elements or if it's an impossibility for it to lose it at all, the thing here is, and this is the point, is that salt impacts, and salt is effective when it is brought into direct contact with the substance with which it is to work. And for the Christian, that substance is people. It is people. So let's look at preservation for a second. Salt has been used in preservation throughout the ages, preserving food for future use. A lot of you know this. For instance, meat. Meat could become corrupted. I don't know if you've ever thought about it like this, but meat could become corrupted with bacteria and impurities. Uh, Meat could become poisoned if it were not preserved and protected. See, salt faced this corruption head on. This is why they salted their meats and their foods. It faces corruption head-on. It prevented the harmful bacteria from corrupting and destroying the meat. It preserved it. As Christians, we are placed smack dab in the middle of a decaying world. We are. And our person and our role, they are vital to preserving man, which Jesus came in the world to save. We have a function. We have a function in preservation, in confronting corruption, preventing the spread of moral and spiritual decay. That's part of our preservation. Christians are the preserving agent here on earth. Jesus said so. We are the positive influence that is present in a decaying world, impeding, you ready for this, impeding the spread of evil in those we come into contact with. We're an obstacle for that evil. I mean, salt could literally make the difference between life and death. If fresh food was unavailable, salt could make the difference between life and death. And I have to ask you, are we effective like that? Are we effective like salt? Are we preserving right here in our place on earth, those that God places in our path? Are we preventing the future spread of the poison and harmful bacteria that the world corrupts with? And this world is very, very corrosive. It's corrosive to the family, to the individual. It is poison. So in preservation, salt is vital for this person, and so is the Christian. You are the salt of the earth. Now, the disciples, we know this, they continued in their called ministries. We have the evidence. We have the stories. They continued. And in these ministries, they preserved civilization. And I dare to say they have preserved civilization to present day, the work that they did that Jesus gave to them they preserved many lives. Civilization does not increase in purity. I have had the argument, and unfortunately it was with other Christians. There are different groups who believe different theories as far as end times, eschatology, and and how things are supposed to come into play. And I will tell you that there is one particular group that thinks thinks things are just going to continue to get better. Well, here's the problem. Folks, Our world is not getting better. I mean, anything you want to look at, whether it's social media or the TV or you want to listen to the radio, civilization does not increase in purity, does it? Look at America. I mean, just our country alone, the things that are going on. And then we look at poor Israel. Look at the groups that are attacking them. Things do not get better. No, it grows increasingly impure. We know that for a fact. And without the disciples, without our early church fathers, without Christians who reached each of us, we would have destroyed ourselves. I don't even know if you've thought about it like that. We would have destroyed ourselves, absolute destruction. But Jesus changed all of that. And now we are called to reflect that character of Jesus in our lives. The one who changed it all, we are to reflect the character in our lives. We are salt. Let's talk about flavoring. That was preservation. I believe everybody, most of us, probably add salt to food here and there. I don't know if it's an insult when you add salt. I hope it's not. But salt adds flavor, doesn't it? It adds interest. You know, pass the salt. When we have salt, ah, pass the salt. It adds flavor. Colossians 4, 5, and 6 says, "'Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, "'making the best use of the time. "'Let your speech always be gracious, gracious <clears throat> Excuse me, "'seasoned with salt, "'so that you may know how you ought to answer each person.'" Salt has a flavoring influence. It does. The things of God, the kingdom of God, our relationship with Jesus, uh, uh, all things that are, are related to uh, our Lord and Savior are hardly boring. You know, people out there think that Christianity is boring, right? You have to give up this, you have to give up that, and you're lame, and you're pale, and you're weak. I mean, I've proven that wrong. I thought I'd get more laughs out of that. That's okay. I thought I'd get more laughs. But no, they think it's boring. A Christian life is boring. It's the opposite. It's the absolute opposite. These things all point to life. Everything I just mentioned in these relationships, the kingdom of God, all things related to our Lord and Savior point to life. We, the church, are to live according to our new nature. We are to live according to our new nature, and that's hardly boring. This nature is alive. It is purposeful. It is joyful. It is hopeful. What I am saying is that Christians should be living in a way that others take notice. Like my chicken wings, when your eyebrows go up, they should take notice. When people pause and consider what is different about them, why are they different? Because we are different. Whether you want to be or not, if you're a Christian, you are different because Christians, we bring flavor to life. The Christian is to life what salt is to food. That's what I'm trying to express to you. Now, like the verses in Colossians that I read where it talked about answering others, seasoned with salt, 1 Peter 3.15, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Let me just take these two verses, because both of these speak to you and I, affecting others, impacting others. So think about this. Look at this flavor, walking in wisdom, making the best use of our time. Letting our speech be gracious, again, that's seasoned with salt, right? Knowing how we ought to answer each person, bringing honor to Christ in our conduct as we live this out, right? Being prepared to make a defense, meaning we're giving an answer to anyone who asks, why do you have hope, man? Why are you hopeful? Can you give me the reasons why you are involved with this Jesus, why you want to be a Christian? Tell me the reasons, but we do this with gentleness and we do this with respect. Folks, this kind of conduct speaks to the added interest and flavor of one's life. Christianity does not remove the flavor of one's life. It adds it. It adds the flavor. Salt is good. And you, church family, are the salt of the earth. But Jesus says something. We have to pay attention to it. No matter when they talk about salt, it's an impossibility for it to lose its saltiness. Jesus says, But if salt has lost its taste, how shall saltiness be restored? Could that be rhetorical? Yes. But when I look at this, I think to myself, if I'm talking about my Christian influence, I know that I can damage my Christian influence. So we're gonna talk about the sacrifice of this influence. The sacrifice. You know, as Jesus expressed this compliment to his disciples, It wasn't to build them up in conceit. It wasn't to build them up and send them out on an ego trip. No, he was referring to them as salt. And why he did that, he wanted to impress upon them a warning that, in fact, they could lose their saltiness. What does Jesus mean by this? Because this is tough that they could sacrifice their influence. This is what he's saying. See, we see the salt that Jesus is speaking of as a mixture of sediment, as a mixture of other matter. And, And if salt loses its flavor or purpose, then what is left? What is left? It's just the appearance of salt. It's just the impurities that remain. The salt is gone. And I have to ask you, what good is salt That has lost its saltiness. Because Jesus Christ is exactly right. What good is it? If the use and purpose of salt is no longer there, what are we going to do with it? What are we going to do with it? We're not going to use it. It's a waste of space. It's a waste of our effort. What are we doing with it? So what good is salt that has lost its saltiness? It's no good at all because it no longer functions as salt. And yes, here's the heavy hitter for you. Christians, we are the same. What good are you, Christian, if the function that you were responsible for in this world, on this part of the earth where God has planted you, and if you're not functioning? What's the purpose? Where's the use? And I know that's a tough pill to swallow, but it's a reality for us. If the impurities that remain and the other matter, yet the salt is gone, It's just the presence of salt. It's the presence of a Christian. So what good is it? If it's not preserving, if it's not flavoring, it is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. That's tough, I know. But we have to look at the reality of what Christ is calling us to do in this part of the earth, in our sphere. If we're the source and we're to exercise this in the sphere where we've been planted, we have to understand that, yes, we can sacrifice that influence. So salt loses itself in service to the object that is being flavored or preserved. It loses itself in that service. It's not impacting the object. So in our verse this morning, part of it states this, if salt has lost its taste... If salt has lost its taste. Now, in researching this, I researched this phrase, and there's many things I discovered. Um, Some of the meanings are are became fools or made foolish, to become tasteless, right? Uh, Bland, lacking flavor, to lose its taste. Here's what the meaning is. The meaning is this. The loss of its taste equates to the loss of its value. That's what I want you to have right now. The loss of its taste equates to the loss of its value. Salt has lost its quality of being salt. So can a Christian lose his or her quality of being a Christian? Hmm. Have we or can we lose our value of influence, our purpose in preserving and flavoring? Can we lose it? Has it ceased to be effective? Yes, it can. What happens, though? Well, primarily, the loss of taste, for the most part, especially when speaking of salt, because it becomes diluted. That salt we're talking about, it can become diluted, and it loses its value. Now, can that happen to our influence, Christians? Can our influence become diluted? Well, let me ask you a series of questions. Can we hurt our testimony? Can we be an obstacle for another person? Can we rob God of his tithes and offerings? Can our faith be shaken? Can we have doubt? And the answer to all of the above is yes. And so the answer to the question, can we dilute our value, our influence? Can we become tasteless? The answer is yes. See, the preservation and flavor of our influence is not effective in its work as it comes into contact with the people in which it is to be working. And if it's not effective, what has happened? It's become diluted. What causes this? What causes this dilution? Well, if we allow too much of the world to permeate our lives, it can happen. Our influence can be affected when the world becomes more important than the things of God. And sometimes that happens. And this includes our other two enemies. We cannot forget our other two enemies besides the world, Satan and self. If we're not guarding ourselves against Satan and his attacks, if we're allowing our interest, pride, and pleasures to be more valuable than that of the Christian uh, value that we've been called to reflect, that can happen. We have three great enemies, folks, with the world, Satan and self. So yes, our influence can greatly be affected. We can easily displace Christian influence, allowing these other three enemies to hurt and affect our testimony. They can hurt and affect our witness. The very character of God that we are to reflect in our lives can become saltless. Terrifying to think about that we could allow these things to displace what God has given us. What a warning. Do you get the warning there? There was a just man, a just man. He comes to Sodom. You remember Sodom? He comes to Sodom to save the city. He pickets. I mean, what else can he do? He goes from street to street. He goes from marketplace to marketplace shouting, men and women, Repent. What, are you, what you're doing is wrong. It will kill you. It will destroy you. They laugh, but he goes on shouting until one day a child stops him. <laughs> Poor stranger, don't you see it's useless? Yes, the just man replies. You're right, it is useless. Then why do you go on, the child asks. Well, I was convinced that I would change them but now I go on shouting because I don't want them to change me and that is what can happen to a Christian. That can be the thing that dilutes your Christian influence. Where the salt loses its value, the Christian can too. We don't want the world to change us, we don't. So if we are a, to be a positive Christian influence where we live, we must displace the pervading influences, right, that would, the world offers to us. And the world's going to offer it all. Don't you remember when t- Satan was tempting Jesus? He offered him everything. We can't let these things influence us and to permeate our lives. So the Christian life is a life that is alive, I will tell you, I believe the Christian life is attractive, and I think the Christian life is desirable. So, are we fulfilling our salt-like purpose in our lives? Can we restore lost flavor, by the way? The loss of flavor? Can we restore it? Can we restore our Christian influence, is what I'm really asking, and the answer is yes. The answer is yes. Looking to the story of the Israelites, for instance, if you follow the story of the Israelites, over and over, God says, turn back to me, turn to me, repent, come back, over and over. If we look to the prophets, what do they say in their warnings? They say, turn back to God, repent, come back. Looking at Jesus, his disciples, the apostles that would follow, what is their warning? Turn back to God, return to your first love, returning To the source is how we are restored. I'll tell you this, if I know, if I'm dying of thirst, and I know where there is a source of water, right, and I'm thirsty, I will turn to that source to drink. If I know where there is a place for food to gather, to fish, or to hunt, I'm going to turn to that place for food. If I know where there is warmth, and I am cold, I will turn to that source of warmth. So returning to our Lord who is our source is the way our influence becomes effective and purposeful once again. He is where we first received it, and he is the source in which we find ourselves restored. And that's for all of us, pastors, leadership, Everyone sitting in here today has to turn to Jesus to be restored if you're going to be purposeful and effective in your Christian influence, because you have a very special gift being a Christian. You are part of what we call Christianity. And what does your Christianity look like? Because it's yours. You're responsible for that. See, people need to discover the joy of the Christian faith. I don't believe people see Christians or Christianity as joyful. Joyful. They need to see that this is the joy of the Christian faith. In a world where impurities flourish, right? In a world that is growing farther and farther away from God, in a world that is increasing in evil activity, and it is, in a world that is depressed, In a world that is sad, as we Christians live in our place where we are planted, we are charged with the joyous responsibility of being salt to the earth, preserving and adding flavor to life. Have you ever thought about your Christianity in this light? And I'm serious. Have you ever thought about your Christianity in this light, that you're a preserving participant, that you're a flavoring participant, that God has placed you where you are to function and be useful and effective for others, that you're instrumental in his plan. See, we are not called to saltless and savorless Christianity, which when brought into contact with people is ineffective. We're not called to that. We are called to be the salt of the earth. That is effective. That is purposeful. It's a saving force, folks. Look at yourself as a saving force in preservation and flavor, a positive influence on others. That's what a Christian is. I talked about disciples earlier and our church fathers. What about those that have reached you, those that have passed on? Come on. Parents, grandparents, those that have left their legacy, those that have made such an impact and were so effective in your life, they're not here anymore, but their salt still points to their faithfulness that they had in God. Do you know those people? What about you? What about your legacy? What kind of legacy do you want to leave behind when your life, present life here on this earth, is done? Like if I brought up Abraham for a second, just Abraham. I believe a lot, of us, a lot of us would go straight to faith, right? I mean, Abraham's case, his faith, let's just talk about his faith, it became an unmistakable sign for us. It, it, it was a sign for us to note and take notice of. It was a sign for us to follow his faith, right? It's a big deal talking about Abraham's faith. What a legacy. But what signs of faithfulness can others point to in your life? I think of the loved ones that have passed the salt that they were to me that is still working and being effective in my life and they're not even here? That is amazing. What kind of legacy are you gonna leave? What will others point to? Will those signs, will they point to the godliness and the faithfulness of your faith and your love for Jesus Christ? Will it point to that even after you're gone? Have you thought about it like that? That's how important the Christian is in this world. We are preserving, we are flavorful. Church family, you are the salt of the earth. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this message. I think we need to be reminded constantly how special we are. Because we belong to the creator of the universe. We belong to our Lord and Savior. And we are valued by you. We are special to you. We are your children. You have called us to you. And we have a great responsibility to reflect who you are in our lives. But are we doing that, Father God? Are we being effective? Are we being purposeful? And my prayer today, Lord, is that you convict each and every one of us if we are or if we aren't because we know the warnings in Scripture, and Father, you have to give us warnings as well. We need to be warned of the very thing that is, could become saltless. We need to be warned of the things that could, could dilute our effectiveness as an influence for you. Lord, let us take heed to your word, everything you have for us. Let us look at the warning in this verse. Let us use that, Father, to grow, not only in knowledge, Father, not only in wisdom, but in application. Because salt is application, Lord. That's what I'm praying for today, Lord, that we each examine our lives, that we each examine our own personal Christianity as an individual Christian. Where are we at? Are we effective like salt? Because you said we are the salt of the earth. Father, I pray over this church I pray over every person here, Lord, that we begin to look at your word and who you are and allow that to be everything we are. When we speak, we're backed up. Our words are backed up because who we are in you. When we speak, our words are backed up because what we are in you. Father, let us be that kind of salt. That's my prayer today for this church. Lord, I love you. I just thank you for blessing us. And Father God, I just want to take some time to lift up Israel right now. As a church prays, Father, as we're lifting our prayers to you, I just ask everybody to lift up prayers for Israel. Father, we pray for the leadership to make right decisions. We pray for protection over that country. We pray for those that have been taken, Lord, that they are returned. And we really pray, Lord, right now, too, for those that have lost. So many lives have been lost. Father, what a, it's such a huge scale. We pray for comfort and peace. We pray for those that have lost someone, Lord. We just pray over these people of Israel, Lord. We pray for your protection to be placed upon them. We pray for this war to stop. We pray for the enemy to be defeated. But, Lord, please keep your people protected and safe. We pray over this. Lord, I thank you for this service. I thank you for this day. I pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.